Hello, everyone, and welcome to Live Through Jesus with Courtney Gilmore. On this episode, Exalting Ourselves, Why God Reveals Himself, and True Repentance, The Seventh Plague of Egypt, Lesson 11 of the Exodus Study. Now, just as a quick side note, I'll be reading all the scripture references for you, so you're free to just sit back, listen, and absorb, or you can grab your Bible and read along. Most of the time, I'll be reading from the New King James Version, but if I switch, I'll let you know. At the beginning of each episode, I'll introduce the title, so if you want the entire study in writing, you can go to livethroughjesus.com and buy it for under $5. Each one will cover two to three months' worth of episodes, and once you buy, then it'll be immediately available for download. In addition to a little extra studying, it also allows you the benefit of some charts and keyword definitions, but it isn't necessary. Okay, so let's get started. I'm still working on the written study, so bear with me and I'll let you know whenever I have that online for y'all to purchase and follow along. On the last episode, we covered the fourth, fifth, and sixth plagues. And we talked about doing things our own way as opposed to doing them God's way. And then also, again, about God hardening Pharaoh's heart. So if you happen to miss that episode, you might want to go back and listen to it. There's several scriptures about the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. And then also scripture and thoughts on us doing things our own way and not following God completely. Now, this week, we're going to cover the seventh plague. I'd like to back up and read part of what we read last week just for context. And so we're going to begin in Exodus 9, verse 12, and we'll read to verse 17. 17 is a new verse for this week and where our focus is going to be in the beginning of this lesson. But I wanted to read the previous verses to give us a little bit of context. So this is immediately following the sixth plague, Exodus 9, 12. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh and he didn't heed them just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For at this time, I will send all my plagues to your very heart and on your servants and on your people, that they may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Now, if I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, then you would have been cut off from the earth. But indeed, for this purpose, I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. As yet, you exalt yourself against my people in that you will not let them go. So that's where I want to put my focus because Pharaoh continues to exalt himself over the Hebrews as if he were their authority rather than the Lord God. And obviously, Pharaoh is very blatant about this. He's continuing to place himself as the full authority and in opposition to God. But I don't think that this is something that's completely unrelatable to us because we have probably, if not often, taken authority over our own lives in the place of God. It's just really easy to do without even thinking. 
a decision presents itself and instead of us just asking God what to do, we impulsively just do what makes sense to us at the moment or we think about it and we just use our own human reasoning. We go through all the pros and cons and we weigh all of our options and figure out the best ideas according to us. Maybe we even go to a friend and we ask them what we should do and they give us their advice. But We don't pray and we don't look in the Bible. We probably don't even look back at other instances where God's led us in a similar way. We just use our own reasoning or the reasoning of one of our friends and we just do what we think is best. And that is not really making God the Lord of our life. To say that he is Lord means he is fully, completely in charge and we are checking all of our decisions with him. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.15. He died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. I think a lot of times we forget that Jesus was a person that gave such sacrifice for us. You know, if we had a person in front of us right now that had risked their life for us and possibly were injured or something like that, we would feel like we owed them tremendously. We'd do anything that they wanted us to do, right? We would feel indebted to them. But sometimes I think we take advantage of what Jesus did for us and we don't think about him in that way and how we really owe him our whole lives. Our entire lives should be devoted to him for what he's done for us. Listen to Galatians 2.20. It says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we are supposed to be dead with Jesus. All of our wants, all of our ways, all of our desires are supposed to have died with him. And then we are supposed to be raised into a new life with him in his resurrection, living for him in a spiritual way. Listen to what it says in Romans 12, 1. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Did you catch that? It's just our reasonable service that we would present ourselves as a living sacrifice to God. That only makes sense that we would do that because of what he's done for us. It's basically the least we can do. He should be our authority and we should be consulting him in every single situation. That's what it means for him to be our Lord. We like to say that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, but we really, really like the Savior part because the Savior part is the part that gives us salvation, forgiveness, deliverance, redemption, all of the things that he gives to us, right? But the Lord part is what we can do for him. We can make him our Lord, the one that guides us, the one that has all the power over our lives. And if we say that he is our Lord, then we should act as though he's the one that's in charge of our lives. We can't just call him Lord and then not do what he says. Listen to what it says in Luke 46 through 49. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. 
He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently against the house, you couldn't shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately fell, and the ruin of the house was great. So it doesn't matter if we call him Lord or not, if we're not doing the things that he says. So we just have to be really careful about deciding that we are in authority of our own lives. We are in charge of our lives and not him. That's exalting ourselves to a place that we do not belong. Okay, so let's move on and see what happens next. This is Exodus nine eighteen to 21. Behold, tomorrow this time I will cause a very heavy hail to rain down, such as not has been in Egypt since its founding until now. Therefore, send now and gather your livestock and all that you have in the field. For the hail shall come down on every man and every animal which is found in the field and is not brought home, and they shall die. He who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his livestock flee to the houses, but he who did not regard the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. So again, God gives Pharaoh an entire day to comply with his order to let his people go before the next plague. And he warns him exactly what the plague is going to be. And if you notice in the part that we read that was a little repeat from last week, it says that every plague from now on is going to be sent to Pharaoh's very heart. So they're going to begin to get worse and affect him more deeply. The hail that's going to be sent is going to be like nothing anyone has ever seen. But there's something also very interesting that happens that hasn't happened previously. And it just shows God's grace. It says that anyone that believes, this is the first time that everybody has had an opportunity to act and not just Pharaoh. The other times it was like, Pharaoh, if you don't let my people go, this plague is going to happen. But this time... God seems to be fully aware that he's not going to let the people go because he doesn't really even ask. He just says, if you don't get your animals in, this is what's going to happen. He knows that Pharaoh is not going to let the people go. So he's giving everyone opportunity to show their faith in him. Very interesting. You know, sometimes just as we talked about the hardening of Pharaoh's heart being a a difficult teaching, it's also sometimes a difficult teaching that God chose a certain nation and not the other people. And so it makes it feel as though he's being exclusive, like he's trying to keep other people out. But obviously that isn't what is going on here because what he's really doing is placing his name on the Jewish people in order for everyone else to see who he is. Because he isn't being exclusive here. Every single person has the opportunity to show their belief in him and act on that faith and have deliverance, a response from the Lord because of the action of their faith. That's why he wanted this to be such a mighty show because he wanted everyone to know who he was. Those that were never going to trust in him, he wanted them to see his power. And those that would trust in him, he wanted them to see his power. The people no longer had to suffer the same consequences as Pharaoh if they practiced their belief in the Lord. 
All they had to do was place their faith in God and not Pharaoh. That's why I was talking about Pharaoh keeps exalting himself. He's been putting himself in a situation where it's like, follow me or follow God. And even his own people are now having the opportunity to say, we do not align ourselves with you. We are going to follow the Hebrew God. He is going to be the one that we listen to and place our allegiance with. And it says that everyone that feared the word of the Lord and brought their animals in, then their animals were safe. But everyone that did not suffered the same fate as Pharaoh. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So they were taking the first step of faith by fearing the word of the Lord. That shows that they believed in what he was able to do. And that just shows us that even if others don't choose to believe or submit, we can because God is merciful and gives the opportunity to all people to trust in him. He makes himself evident and it's up to us whether we want to see and believe and place our faith in the power of the Lord or not. If we fear the Lord and evidently these people actually did align themselves completely with the Israelites because when they do get to leave, a little spoiler alert, if you didn't know, they do get to leave. And I want you to see what it says about them as they're leaving in Exodus 12, 37 and 38. It says, then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides children. And a mixed multitude went up with them also and flocks and herd and a great deal of livestock. So. That mixed multitude is a multitude of people that are not Israelites that also decided to leave with them because they aligned themselves with the Hebrews and the Hebrew God. They feared God enough that they didn't even want to be on Pharaoh's side at all. And I believe they became part of the nation of Israel. Listen to what it says in Exodus twelve forty nine. It says, one law shall be for the native born and for the stranger that lives among you. So God told these people, you know, if you want to come and align yourself with me, then you can be a part of the Jewish nation. I'm not being exclusive. But if you want to be a part of this nation, then you have to follow my laws. I have to be the Lord of your life also. Even from this early stage, God is setting up the rules for a nation and saying, if you don't believe what the people of that nation believe and you don't want to follow their laws, then you don't need to be a part of that nation. But if you do want to follow their God and their laws and be a part, I'm not being exclusive. I'm not choosing these people to push you out. I just place my name on them so that all of the people will see me through them. That's what he does today through us as a church. He places his name on the church, on Christians. The name Christian means Christ follower. So he places his name Christ on us in order for other people to see, not because he's trying to be exclusive. Oh, these are the only people that are mine. No, because these are the people that are mine and they're going to reveal me to you so that you can also be mine. 
So these people show a faith in God before this storm very well open the door for him to be counted as one of God's own people. Pretty amazing. God wanted to give opportunity to every single person to see his glory and place their faith in him. All right, so let's go ahead and move on and read about the rest of this plague when this plague actually comes. This is Exodus 9, 22 to 35. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards heaven, that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt on man and beast and on every herb in the field throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched out his rod towards heaven and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire darted to the ground. And the Lord rained hail on the ground of Egypt. So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail so very heavy that there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt. All that was in the field, both man and beast, and the hail struck every herb of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, there was no hail. And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said, I've sinned this time. The Lord is righteous, and my people and I are wicked. Entreat the Lord that there may be no more mighty thunderings and hail, for it is enough. I will let you go and you shall stay no longer. So Moses said to him, as soon as I've gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease and there will be no more hail that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you will not yet fear the Lord God. Now the flax and the barley were struck. For the barley was in the head, and the flax was in bud. But the wheat and the spelt were not struck, for they are like crops. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh, and spread out his hands to the Lord. And the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain was not poured on the earth. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet more. And he hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hard, neither would he let the children of Israel go as the Lord had spoken to Moses. So the next day, Moses stretched his staff towards the sky and God sent the thunder and the lightning and the heavy hail. And it says that the lightning flashed continuously as the hail rained down. So this was just a horrible hailstorm. And God set his people apart again, letting everyone know that this, you know, wasn't a natural occurrence. This storm is, you know, only in the place that's designated by him and it was sent by him. And if you notice, not only did every person and animal that was outside die during this storm, but it also completely demolished the plants and it broke the trees. I mean, it devastated their land. And when Pharaoh called Moses, he said, hey, this time I've sinned. And I mean, he went pretty far here. He said, you know, I was wrong. God was right. He even called God Lord. And then he, you know, told Moses he's had enough. And he asked him to beg God to make it all stop and told him that he had let him go. And so the question is, you know, is Pharaoh actually repentant? Or is he just trying to make the hail stop, save whatever, you know, of his land that he can? I mean, he definitely sounds more repentant than he ever has before, right? The only thing is, is that when he does confess his sin, he says, this time, this time I sinned. Like all the other six times and all the years before that I pressed him, no, didn't do anything wrong there. But this time, yeah, that was, that was kind of bad. 
I mean, that doesn't sound super repentant. And then he also ended by saying, you know, this is enough. I just want it to stop, basically. And so apparently Moses wasn't convinced because he told Pharaoh he would pray for the hail to go away, but he knew that neither Pharaoh nor his servants feared God enough yet. It says in verse 30, I know that you will not yet fear the Lord God and his servants either, right? Because their hearts were also hard. They apparently had not brought their animals in either. And so Moses must have sensed that as soon as the relief came, he was going to change his mind like he had done before, you know, because he said, you don't really fear God. You just want this to stop. He can tell. And if Moses can tell that Pharaoh's not truly repentant, then we have to know God knows, right? If Moses knows when Pharaoh is truly repentant, then God knows whether we are truly repentant or not. And so this, you know, fake sorrow and pretend repentance just to get out of trouble isn't going to work with God. Listen to what it says in Psalm 44, 21. It says, would God not search this out? For he knows the secrets of the heart. So if he knows the secrets of our heart, then we can't just say we're sorry and rid ourselves of the punishment and that be it. He's not going to fall for that. Listen to what it says in Romans 10, 9 through 10. I'm going to read this one out of the ESV because the phraseology isn't quite as good in the New King James of this. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified, and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, not just that you believe in him, but that he is the Lord of your life, this earth, everything, and you believe that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. And that's because Jesus took our ultimate punishment. So we do not have to serve that punishment anymore. Listen to what it says in Matthew 20, 28. We're back in the New King James Version now. It says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So he gave his life as a ransom for us. He paid the price for us so that we do not have to pay that. That's why believing on him and confessing these things is able to save us. Listen to what it says in Romans 5, 8 through 10. God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So Jesus reconciled us to God. God is no longer angry at us about our sin because Jesus died for us. So believing on him and making him our Lord is what gives us salvation. Listen to what it says in Colossians 2, 12 to 14. Buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, 
having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So no matter what the consequences that we face here on this earth, we know that we're not going to suffer them eternally. Jesus has paid the price for our sins eternally, our price to God. There could still be consequences on this earth, but our penalty has been paid as far as God is concerned. Listen to what it says in 1 John 5, 11 through 13. This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and his life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who doesn't have the son of God does not have life. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. And then not only did he take our sins away, but he also gave us his righteousness. Listen to what it says in Romans 4, 5 to 8. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Just as David also described the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord does not impute sin. And then further down in that chapter, verses 23 through 25. Now it is not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. So God doesn't impute our sins on us. He gives us Jesus's righteousness. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him sin who knew no sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus didn't have any sin, but he was looked upon as if he did so that he could be punished for that. And then we could become righteousness of God through him. First Peter 2, 24 says, Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. So he bore our sins and then those sins died. He took those sins on and then they died. And now when God looks at us, he sees somebody whose debt's been paid. Justice has been served. That's how Jesus justifies us through his death, burial and resurrection. Listen to what it says in Romans 3, 28. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. So we are justified through Jesus, not through what we do, not the deeds of the law, not our works. This shows us just what a wonderful God we serve. This is a completely different type of Lord than the Lord that Pharaoh was, the master that he was over the people, right? And It has to just be easy to serve a Lord like this, a Lord that loves us so much that he would send his son to die for us, to pay the price for us so that he can look at us as righteous. Listen to what it says in 1 John 4, 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. 
Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. That's how much he loves us. So why would it be difficult in any way for us to serve him? It shouldn't be, right? Now, I do want to say one more thing regarding, well, a couple more things regarding this passage. Notice that one of the plagues earlier killed the livestock. It sent a disease through all the livestock and said that all the livestock died. And then now the livestock again are being killed in this hail. And it's difficult for us to know exactly what is going on here. We don't know if so much time had passed that they had new animals. That's possible if you look at this place where it says, you know, two of the crops were demolished with this hail and then two of the other ones had been planted, but they hadn't sprung up yet. So they were still alive. That gives us a little bit of a time frame as to when this hail happened, but we don't know exactly when the first plague began. So we're not exactly sure how much time had passed between these plagues and what exactly was going on. It could be that the animals that were killed in the pestilence, were just the animals that were in the field and they actually had some animals that were in their stables or something. And so those were the animals that are in the field now. It could be that they just went and took the Israelites' animals or someone else's animals or bought more animals quickly. And then this new plague came. We're just not real sure, but we do know the facts are that, you know, all the animals were affected by these two plagues that they had. We just aren't sure exactly how they had those animals. And then the other thing that I want to point out really quickly is that this shows again how much God is just the Lord over the earth. Because when Moses said that he would ask God to calm the storm, he told Pharaoh that it was so that he would know that the earth belonged to God. And all over the Bible, we read about how God's in control of the earth. He's in control of the weather. You know, these are normal things that we see all over the Bible. He created all of the earth. And so it only makes sense that he would be in control over it. And he set the whole earth in motion with all the laws and all the ways that it works. And so he is truly Lord God of all, not just of our lives, but of the earth, of everything that's going on in it. And he reveals that to Pharaoh here. I want to give a couple of instances real quickly of a couple of other scriptures that tell us that God's in charge of the earth. So this is Deuteronomy 28, 12. And it says, the Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hand. So God is in charge of the rain there. Further down in that chapter, verses 23 and 24 says, Your heavens which are over your head shall be bronze, and the earth which is under you shall be iron. The Lord will change the rain of your land to powder and dust. From the heavens it shall come down on you until you are destroyed. Here, God's not sending the rain. And so the heavens above them, the sky above them is like bronze. The sun is beating down and their feet, it's like iron. The ground is so hard because the rain hasn't been sent. And then it says there's powder and dust because the rain hasn't been sent. Now, also in Amos 4, 7, it says... I also withheld rain from you when there were still three months to the harvest, and I made it rain on one city and withheld rain from another. One part was rained on where it did not rain the part withered. So again, in charge of the rain. 
Jonah 1.4. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. So God was in charge of the wind there. Last one, Luke 8.23-25. But as they sailed, Jesus fell asleep, and a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water, and they were in jeopardy. And they came to him and said, Master, Master, we are perishing. And then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging waters, and they ceased, and they were calm. So he has the power to rebuke the wind and the waves. He is in charge of all of these things. So we just need to remember that we are not in charge of our lives. God is the Lord of our life and he places his name on us so that we can share him with the rest of the world. And we just need to be careful not to be fake repentant, right? Fake sorry, because God doesn't, he doesn't fall for that. We need to show true repentance and place our complete and total faith in him and make him the Lord of our lives so that he can truly be in charge and we can receive salvation from him. So anyway, that is all for this week. Next week, we will do the eighth and ninth plague. So make sure that you subscribe so that you don't miss that episode. Leave me a five-star review and comments wherever you're listening. You can also email me. My email address is Courtney at LiveThroughJesus.com. Thanks and have a good day.